0: I was saved in 1949 and immediately became interested in missions, and the first mission that I ever heard about and was praying about ever since, and you can tell how long ago it was because it was called the Ceylon and India General Mission. I don't know when it became Sri Lanka, but uh, I've been praying for... uh, All those years, there was two evangelists in India at the time when I was saved, Jordan Khan and Bak Singh, and they were greatly used of God. And uh, you probably, some of you, are the result of their ministry. I want you to turn, please, to Titus chapter 3, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 8. Titus chapter 3 verses 1 through 8. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy towards all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others, and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for all people. In introducing the four verses, four, five, six, seven, and eight. I need to remind you that the early Christians and the people of Crete that Titus was seeking to teach only had this to read. They didn't have the New Testament. The New Testament didn't come uh, for quite a number of years. And although the Galatians, for instance, would have uh, their letter from Paul 20 years or so after the Lord Jesus died and rose again, most people just didn't have a written New Testament. And the way that they had doctrine and uh, teaching communicated was similar to what we do in Awana, where we teach people verses, but they also taught people doctrine, uh, and sometimes they sang it. Philippians chapter 2, beginning verse 1, was originally, according to scholars, a hymn. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of man and being found in fashion as a man he humbled himself and became obedient unto death even the death of the cross. And that's how they used to sing the Bible. Now in Titus there are Two sections that I find very interesting. If you look at your Bibles, you will notice that verses four, five, six, and seven are obviously four verses, but look closely and you'll find that it's one sentence. Four verses but one sentence, comma after comma after comma. And in the original Greek, it was just one long sentence. And it's perhaps the greatest sentence in the Bible regarding theology, the doctrine of God, and soteriology, the doctrine of salvation. In this great sentence... It speaks of the Trinity of the Godhead and it speaks of salvation. Let me read it to you and get the sense of this. When the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the holy spirit whom he poured out on us richly through jesus christ our savior so that being justified by his grace we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life and you've got those great verses that most of you have learned, John 3, sixteen, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10, by grace are you saved, and in Romans, being justified by faith. It's all here in this one glorious sentence in hope of eternal life and the doctrine of the Trinity. Now, this idea, more than an idea, of course, this doctrine, of God our Savior, three wonderful words, surely. Can you think of three other more glorious words than God our Savior? And that, of course, appeared right in the uh, first chapter uh, of this great uh, letter. Paul, a servant of God, verse 1 of chapter 1, of Jesus Christ for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth which accords with godliness in hope of eternal life. Hey, in hope of eternal life. Ladies, did you switch your oven on before you left? And I'm sure you're saying, I hope. So, right, you see, I I had one lady right here saying, I I hope so. But you don't know so. In fact, I've been preaching for, uh, I guess now it's uh, 71 years. And on two occasions in Toronto, when I got to the house of the person who was to entertain me, guess what? They hadn't turned the oven on. But it was Toronto, so out they went to Swiss Chalet and brought some in. The reason I'm saying this is that our use of the word hope is in these modern days far different from the usage that is in the New Testament. If I say to some of you young people, do you expect to get high marks in your examinations, you'd say. I hope so, but you don't know so. But hope in the Bible is quite different. It's a certainty. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, what does it say? Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. That's a certainty. Indeed, in the second chapter of Titus and the thirteenth verse, it tells us this. We are waiting for our blessed what? Waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. Now, is the second coming uh, perhaps Or is it a certainty? It's a certainty, and that's why it's called our blessed hope, the appearing of our great God, our Savior. There is only one apparent, and I use the word apparent carefully there, only one apparent negative about hope, and that is in Romans chapter 8, and uh, in that uh, 8th chapter verse 24 it tells us this verse 24 of Romans chapter 8 for in this hope we were saved now hope that is seen is not hope get that if you can see something It's not that uh, we go into hope. Uh, I can see a little girl sitting on her mother's knee here, uh, and I can see it, and so there's no hope that she will come. It's certain because I can see. But hope that is not seen is something that God himself puts in our hearts and says, Jesus is coming back, and you say, Amen. I know he is. Hope of eternal life. Now, in verse 3, It says, we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. It's speaking of spiritually dead people. That's why we need eternal life, because we are spiritually dead. Some years ago, there was a pop group Called the walking dead. And uh, spiritually, if you are not a Christian, you are part of the walking dead. You can look at me, you can listen to me, you can disagree with me, but spiritually, as Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10 puts it, and you has he quickened or made alive who were what? who were dead in trespasses and sins. And that brings us, uh, and I'll come to this a little bit later, more fully, it uh, speaks in our text by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, and this was done by the work of the Spirit quickening us in the Salvation that, or the new birth, is when we were quickened. Many years ago, there was an Anglican bishop called Bishop Taylor Smith, and he was a a good evangelical man. In fact, he came to speak at a conference center that we used to have in Canada up in the lakes, uh, Keswick, and... uh, He was well-known enough in the world that he could speak up here in Canada. But on one occasion, he was in a little place, in a place called England, called Cornwall. If you can think of England, uh, there's a little piece that sticks out at the bottom on the west end. That's Cornwall. And this bishop was speaking in a little Anglican church in Cornwall. And uh, he prayed, as I prayed, as to what he should preach on. Well, I'm glad that I got these verses, but his verse was John 11 and verse 40. God said, I want you to preach on, Behold, now he stinketh. Now, I am a bit unusual, as most of you know, in in the way I preach and the way I talk and so on. But for a bishop... To have to say, as bishops spoke, uh, as do speak still in England, behold, now he stinketh, because that's what John 11 and 40 says. In my Bible, it says, there's an odor. And what I'm talking about is Jesus coming to Lazarus' tomb and uh, saying, Roll away the stone. And Martha, his sister, said, Behold, now he stinketh. Well, one of the things that Bishop Taylor Smith said as he enlarged his sermon was uh, a dead body doesn't improve through keeping, right? It begins to stink. And he finished his message by saying you need to be made alive, regenerated to be born again. Well, he went into a little uh, room at the uh, front of the church and the vicar, the man with a parson's collar round his neck and a robe, a cassock, a, a surplice and cassock, the black and white things, the robes that they wear, came running into the vestry, leaned up against the door and said, Bishop, Bishop, your sermon, your sermon. And he said, was it in the Word of God, brother? Yes, he said, that's the problem. If what you say is true, I am not a Christian. Now, can you imagine that? He's standing there. He's been to a college. He's been ordained. He preaches every Sunday. And now he's leaning up inside the vestry saying, I am not a Christian. And the good bishop said, kneel down there. And tell the Lord Jesus what you've just told me. And he did. And he passed from death unto life. I'm just sorry that I couldn't be in the church the next Sunday when he got up and said, I became a Christian last Sunday. After all his training, he was still dead in trespasses and sins until he was born again. One of the great hymns that, uh, and I've been very fond of hymns ever since I was saved, is this. Lord, I was blind. I could not see in thy marred visage any grace, but now the beauty of thy face in radiant vision dawns on thee. Lord, I was deaf. I could not hear the thrilling music of thy voice, but now, since thou hast quickened me, I hear thee and rejoice. And the verse that really comes true to what I'm saying is, Lord, I was dead. I could not stir my sinful soul to come to thee, but now, since thou hast quickened me, I rise from sin's dark sepulchre. That's why we need eternal life. Because if unless we've been born of the Holy Spirit, we are dead in trespasses and sins. Now, the work of bringing a person to faith in Christ, becoming a Christian, is the work not of one person in the Trinity, not of two persons in the Trinity, but three persons in the triune Godhead. And that's why my message is eternal life and the Trinity. Because here, in this great sentence, we have the work of the Father, the work of the Son, and the work of the Holy Spirit. In the text, it's Father, Spirit, and then the Son. Now, in verse 4, it says, When the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared. He saved us. Not because of works done by us, but according to His righteousness and His mercy. That's the work of the Father who is God our Savior. Now it is also true that the term God our Savior is applied to the Lord Jesus as well because everything that the God does, he does in his triunity. They each have a function within salvation. The Father initiates or originates salvation when the goodness and kindness of God our Savior appeared. He originates our salvation. But then it tells us at the end of the sentence who the mediating cause of our salvation is. God says, I'm going to save people, and Jesus came and died for sinners, and there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. So he's the one who links. The father to the sinner but then who does the work in your heart and here it is in that fifth verse by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the holy spirit that means that the spirit of god brings life to us i was present when my son paul was born and i want to say that as i looked at my wife bringing out our child, he didn't do a thing. It was all the woman's ministry and work that did the job. And it's the Spirit of God who causes us to be born again. We would never know the truth except the Spirit enlighten us and shows us that we are sinners. Most people... uh, compare themselves with other people and so they say i'm not too bad i don't hit beat my wife i pay my taxes i keep the speed limit that one's a bad one because very few of us do right and so they say i'm not as bad as that person listen in the sight of god we are dead in trespasses and sins and here is a list of the kind of things that We do just the kind of things. We were foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. That is our natural condition. We may not be guilty of all these things, but we're guilty of some of them and other things that the Bible calls sins, and we like to call infirmities but they are sins in the sight of a holy god and we need the salvation that comes from the lord himself who initiated salvation we need the work of the lord jesus who mediates salvation and the work of the holy spirit who makes it real in our lives one god in three persons now We cannot fully comprehend that, I agree. And there are some people, uh, there is a group in Canada that I came across in Manitoba called the um, Apostolic Church of Pentecost. And they believe that there is one person in the Godhead who sometimes reveals himself as the Father and sometimes reveals himself as the Son and sometimes reveals himself as Jesus. But it's only one person. I even wrote to their seminary to make sure that I was understanding what they were really believing. Well, I want to tell you that when Jesus was baptized, it was Jesus who was wet. And there was a voice from heaven. It wasn't the same person. it was a voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. And the Holy Spirit descended upon him like as a dove. There are three persons in the Holy Trinity of the Godhead. Whether you fully understand it isn't the point. I was reading about quantum physics just the other day. And I found it very, very difficult to understand quantum physics. Then I might be here, and I might be somewhere else at the same time. I don't understand it, but these scientists tell me it's true. I want to tell you that God says in His Word that He is triune. And then at the end of Second Corinthians chapter 13, there, is the, there are these words. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. God in three persons. I was talking to Brother Boab Abraham this morning, and I I am one of those people who wakes up in the morning, and I have a hymn in my mind. It's not always a hymn, but it comes to my mind uh, mostly as hymns. And uh, this morning... It was the church's one foundation is Jesus Christ, her Lord. And Brother Bo said, that's my favorite hymn. Well, one of the verses says, God in three persons, blessed Trinity. And God, the triune God, saves us from our sins. Now you say, if God is the author of salvation the mediator of salvation, and the one who works salvation into our hearts. What is my position? And the Bible says this, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus says, come. He saves us, but he invites us to come. And his first words as were the first words of John the Baptist, as were the first words of Peter on the day of Pentecost. What shall we do, they said? Repent and believe the gospel. Just this week, I received an interesting letter from an elder in Oak Ridge Bible Chapel. And uh, he said we had... uh, Somebody to speak this coming, this last uh, Thursday at our old people's ministry. And he says, his name is Eric Hartland. Do you know him? I did know him. Because one night I was preaching in Arendale Bible Chapel. And uh, I looked at everybody as I'm looking at you. And some of you are showing that you're interested. Some of you I'm not sure about. And so as I was looking at the congregation that day, I said to God, as I kept preaching, I can do two things at once, pray and preach. And I said, Lord, give me an illustration that will bring them into where I want them to be. And I got this most amazing illustration. Not what I expected. Jesus in Gethsemane who prayed and sweat as it were great drops of blood falling to the ground. Do you know what I did? I blurted out, Jesus, sweat for you. You don't need to sweat. And a man sitting in the middle of the chapel was saved in his seat. He was a vice president of Monsanto Chemicals, so he had it up here. And he had conquered drugs by willpower, his own willpower. And then he became an alcoholic, and he conquered that through willpower. And now he was attending church and trying to be a Christian by willpower. He needed this bush preacher, because I preached in the bush hundreds of times to say jesus sweat for you you don't need to sweat and he was saved in his seat interestingly enough that same night and i didn't know that was happening but a woman said to me as she shook hands with me mr dixon how can i know i'm a christian another prayer and i said it's not what you feel not what you think it's believing what god says jesus has done for sinners Thank you, Mr. Dixon. She went home and said to her husband, I became a Christian tonight. When? Well, the preacher says, I've got to believe that Jesus died for sinners, and I do, and I'm a Christian. And he said, so am I. When do you become a Christian? When he said, Jesus sweat for you. You don't need to sweat. I was saved in my seat. And now he's preaching the gospel. It's important to know doctrine. We've got it here. But it goes on to say, let those who have believed in God be careful to to do good works. So if you want to study on Wednesday what I said, study the importance of Christian doctrine. It is important. But belief must produce good behavior. And so at the end of the second chapter, it says, adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. Adorn it. Make sure that the life you live shows forth the glorious doctrine that you believe in hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. Stand on it. Believe it. And God will save you as He saved every other born again believer. Father, grant to this congregation to understand Your great love, to understand the work of the Holy Spirit, to understand the death and resurrection and present high priestly ministry of the Lord Jesus. And may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.